The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. More information about the church is available at www.gracefcwesterville.org. Well, it's hard to believe this is the last message in John after 91 weeks. And uh, I told some of you 91 weeks seemed like a lot until I realized that Piper was in Romans for 10 years. So you guys are pretty got it pretty easy. But as we end... As we end this study, it's probably, oh, probably the most difficult message for me because it hits so close to home. As the Lord confronts Peter on his love for him in that epic experience on the shoreline as Jesus recommissioned him. You recall last week that we, we saw the disciples decided to go fishing and they were out all night toiling and they caught nothing. And as they came into the shore in the wee hours of the morning, they could make out Jesus on the shore, but they didn't know it was him. And Jesus called out to them, and he said, have you caught anything? And they said, no, not a thing. And he said, well, cast your nets off on the right side. And they did, and it was so full of fish that they could hardly bring it in. 153, the scripture tells us. And when they realized it was Jesus, Peter threw himself into the water and beat it for shore, and the others tried to drag the fish to the shore. And as they got there, Jesus had the coals already. They were white hot. And he cooked the fish, and he fed them the bread and the fish. And I imagine they sat around this breakfast, perhaps quiet, maybe some conversation. But then Jesus addresses his attention to Peter. And we pick it up this morning in verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, the son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said it to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, if we had any idea how sinful we really are, we would not be so shocked by our failures. But most of us do not know the depth of our depravity, and we're so shocked when we fail. We're so undone when things go wrong. Every denial of Jesus, every turning of our back on him, is a point of denial. Every lack of putting him first every lack of making him the center and focus of our lives. And when we sin in such a way, it's a tactic of the devil to say, see, you've blown it. You can't have a rich, glorious Christian life. You might as well just keep on sinning. Some of you may understand what I'm talking about. But the spirit is one of forgiveness and mercy. And our experience this morning is such a wonderful story as Jesus turns his attention to Peter. And he gives a call of restoration. 
And this is the whole point of the story of Peter. This is the whole point of what's going to take place right now. And what I want to tell you as we get into this message is if you're sitting here struggling, thinking you've blown it, thinking you're a failure in any way, this message is for you. Peter had failed the Lord in his hour of need. He had denied him three times publicly. So I want us to take a few few moments to look at Peter's denial because to understand Peter's restoration, we need to really understand about Peter's fall. Its cause was self-confidence intensified by Jesus' revelation of his weakness. It had started in the upper room when Jesus had been speaking about love and he gave him a new commandment. He said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you and given myself for you. So are you used to love one another. And instead of this humbling Peter, he began to think about how much he really loved Jesus. Maybe how good he was at this. How much he was really better than the others because he was so committed to Christ. And Peter Uh, rightly understanding what Jesus was talking about his death to come. John 13, 37 says, Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus rebuked Peter by challenging his profession of loyalty. 13, verse 38, Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Jesus knew Peter's heart, and Jesus also knows your heart. He knows our weaknesses. It's hard, this hard-headedness had to be purged out of Peter, and Jesus did it by setting him up for failure. You never wonder why, do you ever wonder why you fail sometimes so easily? Often the Lord is allowing you to have your own way to show you your great need of Christ. And Peter was no different. I doubt Peter heard much of anything else after this situation. He certainly didn't ask any more questions. I suspect Peter was stunned by Christ's prophecy of what was to come. He knew his own heart. How could Jesus make this claim about him when he loved him so very much? And I'm sure Peter had been mulling this over and over and over in his mind. I believe this because the subject came up again after the small band had left the upper room and were heading out to the Garden of Gethsemane. And of course, it was raised by Peter, which showed that he couldn't get it off his mind. Jesus was speaking of the scattering of disciples after his crucifixion and of his intention to gather them again after his resurrection. But Peter blurted out in Matthew 26, 33, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus repeated this this, uh, prophecy to Peter, and Peter came back in verse 26, verse 35. Peter said to him, even if I must die for you, I will not deny you. And thus they all said. You see, like Peter, we have this control in our lives. We have this will to make our own decisions and to set our own course And we don't even consider what God is trying to do in our lives. And Peter would have none of this. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is making a statement, and he's denying it, that he'll fall away, that he's weak, that he can stand strong. 
And you begin to see the sense growing of self-confidence being egged on by the other disciples. Because when Peter makes this statement, the other disciples said, yeah, yeah, we're with you, Peter. And I can just see them coming over to Peter's side and looking at Jesus. No, we're not going to deny you. We're here. And Jesus probably just looked at him and smiled. But, G- but Peter, that evening when Jesus was taken in, as arrested, sitting in the courtyard, he said, I do not know the man. I do not know what you're talking about. I'm not his disciple. How Easy was it for Peter to look the other way when pressed. How does one who pledged such devotion to the master, willing to die for him, not even be able to admit to a teenage maiden he even knew who he was? How easy it is for the human heart to fail. But I want you to see the restoration process. Because it's beautiful how Jesus takes Peter into this situation now. Jesus approached Peter with a threefold approach. First, a question. Second, Peter's response. And then third, Christ's command. The name I want you to notice, though, which is critical here, of what Jesus called Peter when he confronted him. John 21, verse 15. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? It was Peter's old name. It was Peter's name before Christ came into his life and changed his name. Uh, In John 1, verse 42, we read, He brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. This was a play on words, of course, because the old name meant pebble, a light stone, and Jesus was going to make him a rock, a man of faith to build his church upon. And Jesus made this very clear to him. He was saying that he was going to change Peter from a small, insignificant pebble to a courageous, prominent rock. Now, in recollection of this earlier incident, Jesus goes back to the old name and calls him his weak name. Simon, do you love me? The word he uses for love is also critical here. Because once again, there is a play on words that's really lost in the translation when it comes over to English because we only have the one word for love. But when Jesus first asked Peter if he loves him, he uses the word agape. It is a word always used in relationship for God. So in other words, when we read, for God so loved the world in John 3.16, that's the agape word. When he said, God is love in 1 John 4, 8, that's the agape word. It always is tied to love for God or by God. And, uh, and then the, the other word he uses is the word phileo, which is a human expression for friendship. And we might say it, it is highest capacity that a human is capable of is phileo rather than the agape, unless the Lord touches your heart And the Spirit builds within you the capacity to love Christ as we need to love him. We can get the effect of understanding this exchange between them if we think of it this way. When Jesus said, do you agape me? He's saying to Peter, do you love me with 100% love? And when you think of the phileo love, we think of that as maybe a 60% love. So understand something, though, before we go any farther. 
in order for you and I to fully understand the relationship with Christ, we must first understand love. You have to have a clear understanding of love. And this is the area where we as Christians struggle the most. And we'll see it as we progress here. Jesus instigates the conversation by asking Peter if he loved him with the highest possible love. Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me with a 100% love more than these others? Remember that Peter had said in the past that he loved him more than any of these other disciples. He had the greatest love for Jesus. And in view of his background, Jesus is probably asking Peter, Peter, what do you have to say now? You once boasted that your love for me was 100% love, greater than all these men around you. Do you still feel that way? Do you still view me in that way? Do you and I still love Jesus that strongly? Peter, now humbled by his denial of Christ, replies with a lesser word, Yes, Lord, you know I love you with a 60% love. That's a greatly subdued Peter. He is not saying that he doesn't love Christ. He's certainly open to Christ, but he's saying that in his own ability, that's all he's got. Now, you and I don't learn this kind of love on the smooth waters. It's only in the midst of the storms that our true love is identified. And Peter has been put through the storm. But now, Jesus drops the comparison. He says, Jesus used the same word for love again, the 100% love, but this time he drops the comparison with the other disciples. These others, he simply says, son of John, do you love me with a 100% love? And Peter replies as he did the first time, yes, Lord, you know I love you with a 60% love. But Jesus now asks Peter, with the love he's talking about. And here's where it really hits home. Simon, son of John, do you love me with a 60% love? This is as much as to say, all right, Peter, I know you're incapable of the kind of love I have for you and that you are right in affirming what you do have but do you really love me at this level? Do you really love me on a 60% level? Peter, who now has no confidence in his own heart, replies, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. When Jesus goes on to give his command, it is as much as to say, all right, Peter, I can work with that because I am able to bring your limited love to the height I want it to be. And you see, if you're sitting here this morning and you're struggling to understand the love God has for you, you can only fully understand it when you understand your love for him. But that's an area often we don't want to face because it can be painful. But Jesus is putting Peter right on the spot. And he's forcing Peter to respond. And Peter is recognizing, man, I was so gung-ho. I loved you so much. 
I refuse to do anything other than love you, and I'm a failure. I've blown it. (laughs) Jesus, you know my heart. I love you. It's all I got. It's all I understand. It's all I know. Peter now doesn't have the confidence, but he's beginning to have his eyes open. So the Lord's question to Peter is a threefold repetition. Why did Jesus ask three times whether Peter loved him? Well, I think it's obvious because Peter's threefold denial of him. Now Jesus asks him to affirm publicly three times that he loves him. And this is why Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? I mean, how many times does it have to be asked to you before you really get it? So three times he rolls this out to Peter in a very poignant way. Now, do you know why Jesus was content with Peter's 60% love? I believe he was content with it because the Holy Spirit hadn't come yet. The Holy Spirit is the one that has to work through Peter. The Holy Spirit is the one that has to show Peter how to love Christ. How does a dead, sinful human made alive by God even know how to love a holy God? Only through the teaching and the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so as Peter is giving him 60%, it's all I got from a human sense. And when the Holy Spirit comes, the Spirit will guide him into the truth he needs. And that's one of the glorious truths that you and I have because today when you and I accept Christ, we get the Holy Spirit. And we get the teaching and the guiding and the direction of the Spirit to lead us into all truth. So when you fail, it's because you are trying to live on that old 60%. But there's something else here that I think is very important. The reason for Peter's public restoration. You see, Jesus didn't just pull him aside and talk to him privately. He addressed him right in front of all the other disciples. And I think the other disciples may have been skeptical of Peter. He was a blowhard to them. He publicly uh, had denied Jesus, and I'm sure they were concerned about him. Uh, what Would he do it again? And Peter and the others would, would go forward. How could they go forward knowing that Peter was reliable? And so his past showed something that needed to be dealt with. And something time, sometimes only a public way of dealing it with it can help. So notice Peter's response. One key point of importance was Peter's willingness to use a lesser word for love. No more was he a brash and egotistical person. He is humbled and he knows he's weak. Are you willing to face your limited love for God? Are you willing to admit you don't love God or at best don't understand love? Folks, there's nothing wrong with that. The honesty of your own heart is the beginning of growth. Peter had learned about himself from the experience. He had indeed fallen, but his faith had not failed as Jesus said it would not. Now he's ready to strengthen his brothers. Luke twenty-two thirty-two. But I have prayed for you, Jesus said, that your faith fail not. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. The King James says, when you have come through. 
You see, folks, the key is, is that when you turn to Jesus, you are coming through. Make no mistake about it, because he is the one working in and through you. And he had to come to this reality. So he affirms Christ's knowledge. In each case, he answered Christ's question by affirming his love and then saying, you know that I love you. He might have said, well, as best I know my heart, I love you completely. But Peter had tried that before and failed. Obviously, there could be no confidence in his own self-knowledge. What confidence there could be would have to be in Christ's knowledge of him, warts and all. And that's exactly where you and I have to go. We must recognize that apart from walking in the Spirit, you cannot win because Christ owns you when you accept him. Peter was a sinner, yes, but he was a forgiven sinner. Therefore, though conscious of sin, Peter nevertheless knew that Jesus could love him deeper. Jesus knew his heart, not just on the surface, but he knew his heart down deep. And, that, and there is a tremendous joy in the awareness of God's omnipotence for two reasons. One, God knows the worst about you. He knows how bad you are. Yet the Bible says in, in Romans 5.8, but while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He knows your heart. He knows your failures. He knows your victories. He knows the good things and the bad things. You can't put a front on to him. But even in the state you're walking in, he loved you and gave himself for you. Secondly, since God knows all things, he also knows the best about us that others may not know. The disciples may have been startled by Peter's denial. They might have said, well, if he's capable of denying Jesus, what other sins lurk in his heart? When is he going to deny him again? But Jesus knew better. So he publicly deals with Peter to remove all doubt. This is why we humbly come to Jesus. He knows your heart. You can't play games. You can't trick him into a, I'm okay, look at you. He knows your heart. And when he is going to work with you, he may have to deal with you publicly to put everyone else at ease around you. But whatever it is, he will deal with it. And this is frankly why Jesus dealt with Peter in front of the others, to see his responses, to see his true heart come out so they would all have confidence that Christ was really number one in his life. And then Jesus' command to Peter. You know... The best way I know to make this point real clear, just be transparent. <laughs> you, you all know a few years ago how God changed the course of my life and put me here. This passage was a remarkable thing. You see, as God was working in my life, having changed business and caused all the issues and had me face down before him, I read do you love me more than these? And then I read the first part of what he said to him. He said, feed my lambs. So in my mind, I'm going, okay, cool. I've been teaching 30 years. So what you really want me to do, God, is, is to teach my lambs, teach the class, get better at it, be more focused, surrender more to you, and then you'll take care of the business side and life will be good. Hallelujah. 
But then came the second question. Do you love me? Yeah, yeah, I love you. Tend my sheep or shepherd my sheep. Now, wait, God. <laughs> that sounds a whole lot like pastoring, okay? And, and, and I, what, what, some church going to call me at my age some, out of the clear blue and say, hey, you want to be our pastor? Come on. God, I don't understand. What do you want? But I had to surrender. And then came the third one. Do you love me? You're at the point of no return. Yeah, I'm all in. I'm all in. Feed my sheep. That sounds a whole lot like preaching. And of course, you know the story. Our pastor leaves. Six months later, here I am. How do you... Listen, how do you and I ever learn how to love God the way we should? There's only one answer. Only one answer. Mark it down. By obeying his call on your life. That's it. That's all you got. It's not emotional. It's not feel good. It's not warm fuzzies. It's surrender. If this is your call, I'm in. And that's how you begin to understand the deep, true love God has for you. And there's not a person in this room this morning that doesn't have a call in your life. You may not be a pastor. You may not be a missionary to a foreign field. Right where you are, God wants to use you in a remarkable way. And he might be waiting for you to surrender to that reality. You can't try to get it all good first. You can't try to get yourself all walking in the right way. You can't first try to have this great understanding about what love is and all that. You just got to go and surrender to that call. And when you give up to Christ and say, Lord, I don't know what to do, and you get in this book and start going, I guarantee you by the authority of this book, you will get an answer if you're willing to look for it. And so he puts Peter into this place. Do you love me? And he lays down this incredible situation that just seizes Peter's life. And you and I know that some 50 days later when the Holy Spirit came on, Peter goes out and preaches and some 3,000 people came to Christ. Now he's walking with the Lord in the confidence of the Lord, in his love, surrendered to his spirit, and God is changing the world. What will he want to do in your life? You see, you're not just somebody coming to church once a week and going on back to your life. God wants to use you specifically in a very key role. But you have to be committed to what he's trying to do. Now, let me show you commitment because Peter then foretells, or Jesus then foretells Peter's death. Whoa. Verse 18 and 19. Truly, truly, I say to you, When you were young, you used to dress yourselves and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. (laughs) Jesus didn't pull any punches, did he? 
He told him the high cost of disciple, discipleship, and it would lead to his martyrdom. Peter, you loved me. You were ready to die for me. Guess what? You're going to. Second thought, do I really want to follow God? How close would we follow Christ if we knew it was going to end badly? Now, Peter, as only Peter can do, his first reaction is, what about those guys? That's what he says, verses 20 to 23. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following him, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what's that to you? Follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. And Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but that if it was my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Translation to Peter, worry about yourself. I'll do what I'm going to do with the other guys. If they're not going to die, what's that to you? What is it to you what God does to the person next to you? What is it to you if God exalts another or brings another low? What matters to you is your surrender to Christ, walking with him to accomplish what he wants to accomplish in your life. That's the amazing joy. So let me give you a prerequisite for service. What is the prerequisite for service? What is the only acceptable motive for leading and teaching others, for serving Christ in the church, it's not moral perfection. Otherwise, there'd be no servants. It's not an academic degree. It's not overwhelming urge to bring in the kingdom. There is only one prerequisite. It is love for Christ issuing in the desire to serve him. Do you truly love me? Yes, Lord. Take care of my sheep. Do you love God with a 100% love or even a 60% love? 1 John 3.18 says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. This is a love of action. No action, no love. If you love him, you'll work for him. If you love him, you'll commit to him. Now let this next verse sift around in your heart. John 14, 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. You and I are to be actively carrying out his works. We are the legs and the lips of Jesus. And the reason we'll do greater works is because by Jesus going back to heaven, he sends his Holy Spirit to indwell us and lead us into all these things. And Jesus himself said to you and I, greater works you will do. How are your works going this morning? How's life going? Are you seeing greater works? Is God using you in a wonderful way? If you can't answer in the affirmative, 
then you need to really look at your heart and understand, do I really love him? Is he really at the center of my heart? Does my whole week surround him? You know, one of the coolest things that happens to me during the week when someone will call me, Pastor, you can't believe what happened. I was praying for this, I was working on this, and here's what God did. Man, that's exciting. Because there's somebody who gets it. That happens all the time during the week. People share what God has done, how, how he miraculously worked in a situation, maybe in a family situation, maybe in a work situation. But boy, is God showing himself. Isn't that an exciting way to live? You know, I, I use this verse all the time. It's like a broken record. I've been using it for 33 years, Psalm 37, 4. Delight thyself also in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. When you surrender your life to Christ and give it up to him, he changes your heart to desire what he wants. And there is no better way to get out of bed in the morning knowing that your course for that day is set in the perfect will of God. What a joy. What a privilege. What an amazing excitement. Well, the book winds up with one final statement. John 24, 21, 24, 25. This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. This amazing book doesn't even begin to scratch the surface. Our 91 weeks haven't plunged the depths of Jesus Christ. You and I are to continue the story. You and I are to take the wonderful truths of this book and now walk it into life. And it would be so sad to spend all these weeks in this book and not come away with a renewed zeal to walk with God. This is why the book was written, to testify to who Christ is, to give witness to what he has done, and to show what he is doing for you and I. Remember back when we were in in John 17, the great love passage, when he was praying for his disciples, he said, I don't pray only for them, but for all those who will hear because of their witness. In that passage... Jesus was praying for you and I. You can write your name right there. So where are you today? Are you walking with him? Is he everything to you? And even in your limited understanding of love, are you willing to obey him and let him grow your love? And as we go to the communion table now, we begin to reflect on everything Christ has done for us. As the men come forward and we prepare Spend time with Christ right now in personal reflection and ask him what he wants to do in your heart. Lord, I just pray that you would just speak to each one of us, Father. Work your love in the hearts of each one of us. We understand that in our flesh we are unable to love you, but you gave us the Holy Spirit. You gave us the Spirit to guide us into all truth. You gave us your love and compassion. 
Speak to us now as we spend these few moments in quiet reflection. pray that you would hear our hearts and hear our prayers. And may this time together be acceptable in your sight.
received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had prayed and given thanks, he broke it and said, Take and eat this do in remembrance of me. same way he also took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you do proclaim the lord's death
Watch over us, Lord, as we go this day. May we show the true love of Christ. And I pray that you would work that love, that love in us. Lead us into your truth that we might fulfill the calling you've given each one of us. Walk with us, protect us, and may we shine as lights in our community today. And all God's people said, amen. God bless.